0: At first, con men like this buy time. They give you all sorts of excuses, which I guess in some ways helps them psychologically overcome you. And when someone has your money, the irony is they're the ones who have the power over you now.
1: That's Nigel, an English businessman that got caught up in a large-scale con. Back in 2016, he took a chance on what he thought was an opportunity to invest in something truly innovative. Little did he know, this decision would impact him for the rest of his life. From Storic Media, you're listening to Codename Siren, a true crime podcast with Nina Hobson. I investigate all types of criminals and all types of crimes, but this one is a little bit different the criminal, the target. He masquerades as a businessman. He's well known in the community. He wants everyone to think he does great things around the world. What he does around the world is steal money and destroy lives. This is a current investigation and it's one that's really got under my skin. Would you tell us how this all started, how you got involved, how you got to know these guys and and what they did?
0: I've got to rack my brains a little bit because it's going back several years now. Basically, Don Nisanka was introduced to me and represented to me as a very upstanding, well-connected businessman. The picture was painted to me that he had oodles of credibility. Even on his website, he you know, said he was connected to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and, and several other big companies. And when you meet him, he comes across extremely credibly. When I first met him, he gave me a presentation, really, actually, I think it was over Skype or Zoom, and this would be in about 2016. The story he gave was very plausible about being able to um, store energy and and decentralize the energy grid effectively. I mean, it it sounds like an interesting project to get involved in. I I, I guess I, I just got taken up by his his charm and his persona and his apparent credibility and, and I, I maybe I didn't see any red flags I should have seen you know
1: how long did you know him before your relationship became what it is now
0: I' had this kind of um, video call with him probably in around February 2016 sometime around May or June I think 2016 I met him in person he, he gave another presentation here in Bangkok to me and two or three other people and again i guess because you know you want it to be true you 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 tend to suspend your disbelief and then what happened was there was myself and two or three other people we were we were planning to start a new business where we would be effectively creating the world's first energy backed cryptocurrency back then you know at that time no one had done it as a concept and he was going to be Providing the battery storage through hexagonics in the form of these huge 44 foot containers. Each one could basically power a small town. And of course, the idea was for people to release them from their ties to the electric grid in in many ways. So it's a very interesting concept, very novel, very ahead of its time. So I wanted it to work. So maybe I didn't question as much as I should. Four or five of us met in Cyprus. We were there for about a week uh, in Nicosia at the Hilton Hotel. Everyone seemed to believe that he was extremely credible, and I knew he was meeting with other big investors. Even though he claimed he had two hundred odd million dollars worth of PPAs, which are personal power accounts or something, because he had done a deal with some um, solar energy company, and they got two hundred million dollars worth of basically customers lined up to install solar energy panels and battery storage in the houses. But of course, uh, they needed to get financing for those. So he's talking very big numbers. And I guess maybe, again, it's probably my naivety. You know, when people start talking big numbers, you kind of feel, oh, he must know more more than I do, right? So he was talking about actually raising $100 million to finance these and bankroll them effectively. And to, to raise the $100 million, he said he needed $5 million to put in some kind of uh, like bank guarantee or certificate of deposit. So it would just sit on his books you know, for like 30 days, 60 days maximum, and then um, you'd get your money back. And I knew he was talking to other big investors, and it, he kind of gave me the impression they were kind of giving him a bit of a runaround. And I suppose because I wanted it to happen so much, I agreed to put up the cash myself under the insurance that it wouldn't be at risk and I would get it back 30 days later. Of course, alongside that, I'd get a load of shares in the new company and so on and so forth. So I foolishly agreed to send this money to their bank account, the, the Exegonics bank account, basically to act as a kind of collateral.
1: You talk about meeting him in Bangkok, meeting him in Cyprus, him doing presentations to you. So it was it was big scale. And he was kind of. I used the word grooming you to be able to approach you.
0: Absolutely. I mean, looking back on it with objectivity, I was being groomed. Absolutely.
1: By taking you overseas and and showing off and you obviously were all human and you see that as being impressive and he must be right.
0: I guess, of course, we're all impressed to be playing in a bigger league than we think we're in, right? And I, I guess I was taken in.
1: You wanted it to be true. You were doing your business and I think... You don't want to make waves. You don't want to start investigating it because you want it to happen. And would you say that you live with that tiny bit of hope all the time that, oh, tomorrow will be the day that the money comes
0: back? Of course, and that's what they play on. These people, you know, he's a career fraudster and and they understand how to manipulate you. You know, people say, well, how can you possibly fall for that? You know, you stupid. No, that's the whole point. The, the reason they're con men is you don't see it coming. If I knew he was a scammer, I wouldn't have bought him for it.
1: And it's like he's been able to assess you and you're a smart guy and you're a businessman, so he's already done his assessment and realized that he's got more chance by doing the things that he did. You obviously have paid the money, and it wasn't even, I just want to make this clear, it wasn't even considered an investment. It was more of a loan, right?
0: Yes, it was a loan.
1: And you were due to get it back, and you said that you had a contract. With regards to to that, it was originally
0: 30, maybe 45 days, 30, 45 days. And then they arbitrarily changed that agreement. And it was going to be due back on, I think, the 31st of March at the latest, 2017. And that day came and went.
1: Take us to that day. So you're starting to realize you may not get this money back. And how do you deal with what's going on? Are you still in contact with this guy? Are you still part of the business?
0: Okay, so so here, here's what happened. It was a convertible loan is the, is the type of agreement. However, the specific terms of my contract was that I would be returned the money. It wasn't going to be converted into shares, but I would, I would get the money back. Plus the equivalent in shares. Right. So it was a very, you know, a very attractive deal. I was going to effectively double my money by lending it for 30 days or more. In the meantime, myself and a few other people had decided to go ahead and start this company with the cryptocurrency that was going to be energy backed because he had again committed to put up the containers that would provide the energy to collateralize this cryptocurrency so we went ahead with that quite separately from my loan that was two separate arrangements so in in one breath he's delaying me and not paying back my loan when it's due in the other breath he's actually attending our presentations in front of people in places in Europe doing his big presentation to all our potential investors or potential members who are going to get involved in this so we were kind of giving him a platform for that and until I realized at one point that uh he never had any intention to pay the money back. And he was using his leverage he had over me by because he had my money to try and take over our company as well, to take over the the whole project. I was backed into a corner because I, I was five million dollars out of pocket that I'd put into this convertible loan. Plus, I was trying to build a business with. You know, thousands of enthusiastic members and investors who wanted to get hold of this new cryptocurrency project. And we'd, we'd put him up as the, how shall I say, the, the guru in terms of the energy market. So Don Nisanka and Exagonics was going to be our partner. Once he realized he couldn't basically control our company, because he wanted to have his hand in the till there as well. Then they put out on the Exagonics website a press release basically dissolving any, any relationship they had with, with our company as well and tried to discredit us in the media and tried to make it look as though that we were the bad guys, as though we had somehow done something that was you know, underhand and, and hadn't fulfilled our part of the bargain, which was not true at all because he was basically trying to steal our company, as well as having already stolen $5 million of my money.
1: Was there a point that you actually went, you know what, I'm not getting this money back?
0: At first, con men like this buy time. They'll give you excuses, it's coming, and they'll give you all sorts of excuses, and, and it delays it and delays it and delays it, which I, I guess in some ways helps them kind of psychologically you know, overcome you. It's not until you reach that turning point, which was probably late summer of 2017 when I, when I decided to hire lawyers and a and, you know, law firm to, to go after my money, until you reach that turning point of, okay, I'm never going to get this. I better try the legal route. You've always got that hope that, well, maybe it's just a delay. Maybe it's just out of their control and maybe it's going to come, You know, i have just going to have faith. And the longer it goes on, the more humble your asking is. It's not like, give me my money. It's, please, please, can I have my money? And when someone has your money, the irony is they're the ones who have the power over you now. I'm sure this is a common story. Whenever you've lent money to anyone in any situation and they don't want to pay you back, they're the ones who try and make you feel bad, like it's your fault. So eventually, I had no choice except to try and find a law firm who could go after him. And the first obstacle I found, if you're not US resident, getting a US law firm to represent you in a case like this is almost impossible because they're afraid that they're not going to get paid. Eventually, I found through recommendations a law firm, several of the law firms that I tried to use in Kansas City against him, which is where he's based, wouldn't touch the case because they were conflicted out. Kansas City is not a very big place. He had very cleverly used almost every major law firm in Kansas City for this project or that project or a little thing. So no one could actually attack him because they would turn around and say, well, he's a client or a former client, so we're conflicted out. So within Kansas, it's actually very hard to find someone who doesn't have a conflict and can actually go after him.
1: Which was something that he did purposely.
0: Oh, absolutely. This man is very calculating
1: you eventually found a lawyer to represent you and you went through a court process which basically that didn't work he agreed to pay
0: by the way having already lost all this money so far i had then had to spend several hundred thousand dollars extra on legal fees just to try and recoup what i'd lost i mean it's pretty disgusting the way the law works actually I take all my money and now i still have to pay more money to try and recover it so at first one of these board of directors is also had a law firm, but I'm not even sure. I, I, I think we discovered later on that he had since been disbarred or something.
1: Yeah, it wasn't quite who he said he was.
0: Pretends he's a lawyer, pretends he's an attorney. And he was writing back, basically saying, no, we don't owe Nigel the money. It's a convertible loan. It's converted to shares, which even if that was true, I never got the shares. We showed them that that wasn't true. And we forced him to actually read his own contract where it said, I will get my money back, not shares. So months and months of back and forth, it came to a point where they would have had to testify in front of the judge or, or give a like an affidavit or a deposition. And I think they were afraid of perjuring themselves. So they actually agreed to settle for the full amount to avoid actually having to talk and, and perjure themselves, right? We accepted the settlement. And again, they had another like three months to come up with the money and they Messed around and wasted time for those other three months, still didn't come up with the money. So, after even agreeing that I was in the right, which is easy because it's in black and white, agreeing that they had had my money, agreed to pay it back, still never paid it.
1: So, that's where you obviously contacted me, Nigel, and said, This is what's happened. And we started looking into what was really going on. The first thing that we did was we looked at where your money had gone. And it was interesting that. He had got you to pay into a Hong Kong account, and then we followed the assets and we traced where Nigel's money had gone. And it went a few places, but one place it went was to a gentleman in Florida. He took half of the money. And we later found out that he was involved in a Bitcoin scam, and Nasanka owed him money. And he was more of a threat to Nisanka and destroying him because he'd whistleblown on another criminal and was involved with informing the FBI. So clearly what had happened, Nigel's money was not for any of the things that he said it was for originally. Nigel's money was to pay back this guy because he could be dangerous, and that was to get him off Nisanka's case. The other half of it went to Sri Lanka, where Nisanka's from, and was obviously sitting in what would be a great pension account. That was the start of our investigation and where we went. And as a result of the investigation that was started by Nigel, we've established that it's not just Nigel that he's done this to. Basically, he's a career con man and he's very, very good at his job. He hasn't gone bankrupt, which is very interesting because that would be the end of the court order and everything else. I think we did have a little tiny win at one point where his daughter was getting married. We established when and where she was getting married. And so we let him know that we would be bringing the FBI to that wedding because it was time that he was arrested. The wedding got canceled the week before because obviously he couldn't risk that. It's a little thing, but when you're in Nigel's shoes, you know, I can't afford to pay for my daughter's wedding because he's taken my money, but his daughter's having a huge wedding at my expense. We went actually and met with Don without him realizing who we were. And he gave us his story for nearly three hours. He was super nice the first day. Couldn't be more accommodating. However, We do believe that while we were talking to him in his kitchen, and it was around nine o'clock at night that his lawyer arrived because we had surveillance outside who notified me that someone had come into the house, into the garage. That person never showed their face. The next day when we went back, his whole persona had changed. That's how he works. When he's getting his own way, he's the nicest person ever. For a closer look at what it was like on the ground in this investigation, I check in with Adam, one of the operatives alongside me, during some of the many confrontations with Nisanka.
2: I remember we parked in this neighborhood where we could see, we had clear vision of the house, we had a good angle on the house. And the guy walked up to the car and was like, is everything okay here? Country guy, remember that?
1: Yeah, that's when we told him that we were on a child protection job. Because as soon as you mention the word child protection, everyone walks away because they don't want to know and they don't want to get involved. That problem we in Kansas was that there was not a very good place to do obs so you have to become creative. So we had an idea that the house next door happened to be for sale. We rang the realtor, made an appointment to see the place, posing as a couple that were new to the area. This helped us get a good view of the target's house. But as we were coming out of the property, the target was outside, looking right at us.
2: And he had already known who you were. Yes. Immediately, he was surprised. You could tell how big his eyes were, like, what the fuck is going on?
1: Those days where we sat in the car for literally 16 hours every day, when the target didn't move, you get to a point where you're so tired and you've got to be like a coiled spring because at any point, he could have moved and we had to step into action.
2: And it's very dangerous. You're walking into certain situations that you don't really know what's going to happen.
1: I remember one day we were doing overt surveillance on him. That was an interesting situation.
2: We were following him and then he did a U-turn and it was following us. So I'm like, I'm not about to run from him. Let's stop the car and see what's going on. And when we stopped the car and he wouldn't open the door. Well, why? If you're not going to open the door, why are you following us dude?
1: He had the window open about an inch and said, I'm calling yeah, the police. I'm calling the we police. Like,
2: well, how are you calling the police if you was following us? And
1: we said, call the police because that's exactly what we're doing. And then he drove off.
2: The funny thing is, I don't know if it was the first or second time, how fast we got out of there. It was the first time. We had got a phone call and that's when everything kind of unfolded. We were thinking we were going there to get the money back, but it was it was way more deeper ties. And I don't think he made the call. It was the lawyer.
1: To say, yeah, these people are after us. We need to shut them up now.
2: Because we, we went and approached the lawyer at his home.
1: So the guy that Adam was just talking about, that was actually Frank, the CFO of the company. But at this point, he has been totally dropped by the rest of the Target team. He's had a baby. He's decided that maybe he wants to clean his life up and he has a proper job.
2: We already had the money as well.
1: And they have the money, yeah.
2: We went over to this guy's house at night, probably like 10 or 11 at night, on a weeknight. And we knocked on his door. This is a white neighborhood. Three big black guys. I'm 6'4", AK, 6'1", and the other guy was probably like six six four as well, but he was a big guy. And um, he was scared, but he knew what we were there for. When we talked to him in the daytime, he was very cooperative.
1: He was a weak link then for the rest of the guys, because the rest of the guys, when we did eventually approach them, they were very much, we're not talking to you, so what? People have lost money. We don't give a
2: shit. He must have talked to somebody you know, don't tell him nothing. Don't say anything. And when we went back over there, he, he wasn't trying to give up any information. And then the next day is when we got the phone call.
1: But it was really early. It was about 4 a.m. when we left to go yeah. to the airport. I thought they were coming after me. I was like, don't speak to me at the airport. Don't even acknowledge that I'm here. If you see me, just we'll meet on the plane.
2: Yeah, we left fast. It was super fast. Like, everybody packed their bags up, threw everything in the car, changed our tickets and everything, and we flew out.
1: These are just a few of the many ups and downs we experienced investigating Don Nisanka and his associates. When dealing with a career criminal, it's not uncommon for a situation to become volatile, as Adam and I have just described. In this situation, we were fortunate enough to be tipped off in time to get out of town before it got worse. Nigel, you summed it up really well when you described how Nisanka basically hides in plain sight.
0: So he's not like your conventional idea of a fraudster or a scammer or a con man who is kind of taking money personally. No, it's all investment in a company. It's all done with contracts and share certificates or whatever, if necessary, and so it's all given this gloss of, well, it's all business. Oh, well, you just lost your money in business. No, it was a scam and con from the start. I'll give you a, an idea of how, how sick this individual is, despite the fact that it's there in black and white in my contract that I paid that money and I'm owed it back You know, by March 2017 at the latest, despite the fact that he signed willingly a settlement agreement admitting how much he owes me, million dollars and change or something plus costs, right? Despite all of that, he was still brazen enough to look you in the eye and say, I don't owe Nigel money. He owes me 5 million. Yeah. I mean, this is how sick this individual is. I still get on my Gmail account, I still get emails today from American Airlines, from a frequent flyer account, which I don't own, which is his daughter's frequent flyer account. I get notified. Every time she flies on my dime, he's doing that deliberately to goad me. I didn't set up an American Airlines frequent flyer account and put my email address. He did. And he's done it obviously so that every time she gets on a plane and goes to Mexico with her boyfriend or whatever, I'm notified of it. How sick is that?
1: We proved that the technology that he was claiming that he had doesn't exist and can't ever physically be built because it's just not physically possible with the laws of science.
0: So the battery technology is definitely there. What you're talking about, which I've forgotten to mention it in this conversation is one of the reasons that I was so taken in initially was he demonstrated and showed, I mean, what proof you can show on a video, but he basically gave us the a very clever sales pitch on a piece of equipment, which was supposed to give perpetual motion. And it was, to do, it was to do with a turbine and, and water and energy. It was very clever. It's very believable. And he said that he was scaling it up and it, they've proven it in a lab. Okay, maybe I'm a sucker. I got taken in by, but who, who doesn't want to believe that there's a piece of equipment that's going to give you perpetual free energy? And that's, that's one of the things I was taken in by. And that's what you're referring to now when you say, we found out that there's no way it could possibly work.
1: I mean, when we first looked at it, it'd gone to the UK to this alleged company. So we've got the money three-way split. We go to the UK, we find the address that's allegedly this company that he owns, and it's the home address of a gentleman that he's connected to. There's no company. It's just a, a fake company that they're able to put money through. We met with the guy who owned the flat. Obviously, denied that they were involved in any way that this company existed. It was basically a way that they could move money around without too many questions. Because let's be honest, if you're trying to raise funds on a global level, you're not going to normally get people going to the addresses. So we went globally to all of these addresses, and all of them were fake. I mean, they live in these mansions, they live in huge houses, which I can guarantee have been paid through ill-gotten gains. You have two choices now. You have FBI or you have pay back the money and all this will go away. But he's so arrogant. He's obviously done this for so long and no one's taken him to task that they're just sitting there going, how are you going to enforce this? Right. The one thing that's going to hurt him is for this to be made public because at the moment he's living the life in the community. No one knows what this has all gone on because the money has gone around the world to fake companies. The technology doesn't exist. The board members are just names.
0: Well, I, I think you probably re- remember his name. It's Frank something, the CFO, who no longer works with hexagonics. But, you know, to use the, uh, the old expression, he knows where the bodies are buried. He knows where the money went. He knows what was being done behind my back. And he's trying to forge a career as a respectable CFO, he's a young man, he's probably about 30 by now, I think. He needs to be exposed to because he was complicit, he was part of it.
1: I spoke to the previous CFO, and she said that at the time of the court case, they'd already decided prior to Nisanka that they weren't going to pay you any money. It was just, they were just going to say that they were. And we have the recordings of that conversation because she agreed to talk because she was so horrified of how Nasanka was behaving and he didn't pay the staff. He took this money and they all believed because he's believable. And even the night that I was talking to him, knowing what I already knew, he was so charming.
0: Well, he needs to be stopped because he's doing it to other people as well. He needs to pay me what he owes me, certainly, but I'm not the only one, I'm certain of that.
1: To this day, Nigel has still never recovered the five million dollars that he was told would be a 30 day loan back in 2016. This has not just taken a financial toll on him, but a lasting emotional toll as well. But this is not over. This is an ongoing investigation and we won't rest till we get justice. He may get his money back, but the marks left on his psyche for daring to take a chance are permanent. I get really frustrated because people don't do due diligence and that's not a criticism because it's human nature, but they should. You can have some questions set that will help you know whether this is real. And if you get any gut feeling, any at all, go with your gut because nine times out of 10, that also works. And if you have some indication that something's not right, stop, check, If you lose the opportunity because you're doing that, it doesn't matter. You've just protected yourself. Until next time, I'm Nina Hobson, and this has been Codename Siren.